Hello and welcome to the Wonder Women podcast. My name is Katie Freeman and I'm your host. Every week I bring you two interviews with female and non-binary makers of all kinds from all over the world. This week's uh, episode is with Karen Ernst. Karen is an artist, a furniture maker, and also a professor teaching woodworking and furniture to uh, students. <clears throat> so um, I've been hearing about Karen Ernst kind of around the circuit, if you will, for quite some time. So excited to get a chance to uh, chat with her and uh, learn about her journey from kind of art school and then getting into teaching and uh, you know, being a mom and kind of managing everything that goes into all of that. Um, before we hop into the interview, though, I want to give a big shout out and thanks to the patrons over on Patreon. So thank you so much, Kevin, Lefty's Woodshop, Christy, Twisted Twine, Christina B., Jeremy Spies, Sammy, Go Sammy Lee, Sven Dwarf Size Workshop, Rachel Moody Makes, Bonnie Tool Mom Bonnie, ToolMomStore.com, Laura Oakley Soap Company, Mary Lou Made by Mary Lou, Amy Bison Valley Carving, Dan and Kelly Reclaim Living Store, Brandy Studio Obey, Kathy One Girl and Her Tools, Ellen Little Bear Furniture, and Ethan Ethan Card Designs. Thank you all so very much for your ongoing and continued support of the podcast. Um, and speaking of which, if you would like to hop on and help support the podcast, um, you can head on over to Patreon and look up. It's still under Maker Mom Podcast. So you can go check that out. Um, I appreciate each and every one of the patrons over there. What is provided is basically being able to keep the podcast going, uh, especially with covid um, it was tough basically for all podcasts, but, um, getting sponsorship as far as brand sponsorship, um, though I do thank, um, Athena Outfitters for hopping on this year, uh, with the year starting out and becoming a sponsor of the podcast. Um, but without, uh, ongoing and continued sponsorship from brands, then the patrons are who provide the support and it pays for all of the, subscriptions and the editing and all of that, uh, which I am still a one woman show. So I do appreciate that. Um, and just know, obviously without, uh, any monetary support, I just, I am passionate about getting to do this podcast and talk with all of these amazing female and non-binary makers and learning about their stories. I mean, it's kind of unbelievable that I get to do this on a weekly basis. So 
it would exist whether there was no support or not, but I do appreciate the support. Um, it does kind of help keep the gas in the tank, if you will. All right, with no further ado, here is Karen Ernst. And I always start by having my guests introduce themselves. So I'm going to let okay. you do that when you're ready. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, my name is Karen Ernst. And um, I my primary profession is I, I'm an educator. I, I'm a professor at Edinburgh University in Pennsylvania, where I run the woodworking and furniture design program. And I've been doing that. I'm finishing up my 17th year doing that right now. So this year. That is definitely some history then getting to, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. to running that. Yeah. Um, before we kind of get to like maybe the, the career portion, I just want to know like What's your, what's your story? Where'd you come from? How'd you, how'd you get into this? Um, well, it was sort of, sort of by accident. I mean, I, I'm from outside of Buffalo, New York is where I, where I grew up. So only a couple hours away from here. And um, I think as a kid, I was always like very interested in art and always liked to draw and paint and, and always liked to kind of make stuff. I didn't really have <laughs> much in the way of skills. And then I think like um, high school, I, you know, started, we had a, an okay art program at my high school. And I um, ended up being a kid that just kind of hung out in the art room all the time there. Like I found my little group of friends, we would go there during lunchtime and we were, I don't know, I suppose I was a little bit of a misfit in some ways in high school. Um, but I, yeah, the town that I grew up in is East Aurora, New York. And it's, uh, was a huge center or kind of a hub during the arts and crafts movement. So there's like the Roy Croft, it was an artist guild back around the early 1900s founded by this guy Albert Hubbard who so there was like the woodworking shop the printmaking shop the ceramics shop the coppersmith like so I kind of grew up with that legacy around me all the time and um I don't know I suppose that kind of infiltrated my life somehow but um but yeah I never took like shop in high school or anything and that was sort of like I was an honor student I was on the swim team I was sort of like a nerd and I just was like that's where the bad kids go that can't like <laughs> at least in my school I think it varies from school to school some you know depending on the teacher or what sort of student that was that was my school too though that was yeah I did not I outside of like the middle school like intro shop class mm -hmm. I did not take shop class in high school I took electronics but I didn't take shop class because that's like where all the bad kids <laughs> yeah it just and I don't think I ever even set foot in it, which seems sort of crazy to me now. I feel like I should go back there and be like, kind of scope it out if it, even, right. if it even exists. You know, a lot of schools don't have shop programs anymore. But um, yeah, so I was I went to um, I spent a year as an exchange student. I went to Germany after high school. And then when I came back, I um, started out as a biology major in college. I was like, I'm going to be pre-med. I'm going to have a real job like a doctor or something. And like you know something kind of higher I don't know what I thought you know you don't know what you're what you're talking about right. when you're 18 so so I did a about a year and a half through into that program I was like not cutting it in organic chemistry <laughs> I was like I literally walked out on a test I was looked at the test and was like nope can't do this I just like handed it in and then <laughs> it was just I think at the time I, I had a gap in my schedule and I was like, you know, I might just take an art class because I like art. And, I, and so the class I signed up for was design and wood taught by this woman, Joe Stone. And of course, like then the rest is history. Like I had never done much at all with tools, had no experience, like didn't know, had never used like a cordless drill 
maybe I'd use the screwdriver. I don't know. But so then in this class, it was like a furniture class and we learned about carving and uh, learned all the major machinery, how to make joinery. And we built a table and it was just so um, empowering. I think that experience to be like, oh my God, I never knew I would like this or thought I would be good at it. And it was just like, I then I think also I, I've talked about this a bunch of times recently. I feel like having a woman as a teacher, you know, having a teacher that sort of looks, mm -hmm. not looks exactly like you, but you know, that you can envision yeah. like, oh, well, they're doing this. So why can't I do it? And, you know, that Were she you, sort of showed me that there was a path for me in right. that profession if I wanted to do it. So was there, were there other uh, women in the class with you? I think there were, it was a pretty good mix. It was, yeah, probably about half and half. And there just was no, you know, it was not like a boys club environment at all. I mean, my teacher was very progressive. She, she had, um, Joe Stone had gone, she was from Murray, Murray, Kentucky, went to school there as an undergraduate and then studied with Wendy Mariama at San Diego state. Mm -hmm. So she is coming from this sort of studio furniture background and which was very, you know, progressive, very open to women. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I didn't even know it existed. So she really opened up this whole world for me and, you know, had such a big impact on where I was at at that point. So I just felt like once I took that art class, I was like, all right, I feel like I found my people. <laughs> like this is where I belong and forget that whole biology thing. And my grades right away improved because I was loving what I was doing. So, and luckily my parents were like, well, whatever you want, you know, if it makes you happy, go ahead. And so, yeah, I think they were kind of surprised that I would get it. I remember my parents coming to pick me up after my first wood class to like get my table and stuff. And my dad was like, Oh, well, you said you were building a table, but I didn't really like think you were like building a table, <laughs> like that it was like a more real thing than he was expecting, you know, that it, like you're actually building furniture and use machines and like, yeah. So that's, that's, I guess, where it started was in college really. And um, so yeah, I just stayed on and took like, six classes with Joe Stone and I also was excited enough about it that I when I went home for the summer I actually I talked about those Roycroft craftsmen that there's still like a Roycroft artist guild and so you can apply and become like a a Roycroft artisan which allows you to put this little symbol on your work mm. it shows that your work is at a certain level so I've never applied for that but um I ended up getting like going to one of the a wood shop in town that was a couple of those Roycroft guys and was like hey I've taken this one wood class. Can I like hang out and learn stuff from you? And they were like, uh, let us think about it. And then they were like, okay, yeah, that's fine. So now I'm looking back, I'm like, who, what made me think that that was okay to just, I mean, but it worked. I went in there and they right. were like, sure. So thank God they were, you know, generous and enough to allow me to bother them all summer by like just hanging out in their shop and they didn't pay me anything, but they would let me right. once in a while, like put finish on stuff and like sweep up and then they let me use some equipment to make another table and kind of walk me through the process. So I always like talk to my students about like, use your summers, you know, to take advantage, do stuff that's going to help you like build your career so that you have options and connections mm -hmm. to use after school. And um, so what'd you end up changing your major to then? Uh, well, they only offered a BA in studio art. So it was not as intensive as like a BFA, like what we mm -hmm. have here where I teach now, but it's, um, so I had like a concentration in woodworking and then also a, like a minor in textiles, I guess. So I was doing weaving and I just liked 
making stuff. I, I remember having this sort of idealistic view that I was going to like make everything in my house, like make the ceramic stuff and make the woven stuff and the furniture, but which didn't happen, of course, but <laughs> my house is full of Ikea stuff now. So it's like not full, but it's got a healthy yeah. amount of Ikea. Um, yeah. So I switched, I got a BA in studio art and um, ended up like in summer after my senior year, I think, um, maybe it was my junior year. I don't know. I went to Martha's Vineyard. I had some friends in college that were going there for the summer and were like, Hey, do you want to come along? And I was like, well, I guess so. It sounds like a nice place to hang out for the summer. So I wrote a lot again, <laughs> did a thing where I opened up a woodworking magazine and saw an ad by a guy. And I was like, Oh, he's got a shop in Martha's Vineyard. Maybe I'll just like ask him for a job. <laughs> and so I, I actually like hand wrote him a letter or typed it. I don't remember. And then mailed it to him. And he never responded. So I finally called him and he was like, oh yeah, we don't really check that PO box at all, but Hey, you want a job? Sure. You can come. <laughs> so, which sounds really sketchy now. Like, Hey mom and dad, I'm going to Martha's Vineyard. And I'm going to work for this guy and his shop is in his basement and he's going to teach me stuff. <laughs> and it was like, but he was amazing. His name, his name is Gary Spikeman. And um, he was super talented, self-taught, furniture maker who also does uh at the time he was doing lots of kitchens and sort of architectural woodwork for you know these mansions that are on Martha's Vineyard you know people who own multiple homes and maybe spend a couple of mm -hmm. weekends there a year so but he was also like the kindest most patient you know but also very very talented and you know turned out to be he's still one of my my good friends so I worked off and on for him for about five years I kind of had a standing job like anytime I wanted to come and go we just worked really well together in the shop and his family's wonderful and um so that kind of was a huge uh supplement to what I was learning in the classroom I think just doing all mm -hmm. the hands-on stuff and you know it's good to know what goes into like installing a kitchen like crawling around on your hands and knees and with a nail gun and like installing yeah. molding and doing I, my job was always to fill in the nail holes with the little wax stick and oh. <laughs> but all that stuff though it's like sort of it uh you know you learn a lot from all those situations so um did you I'm go kind of and get your master's there. then yeah so I I worked for him in the summers and then I I think I graduated December of 98 and then Went, I think went back and worked for him for a while. And then I spent um, a summer, I think it's good for to just travel a little bit. So I spent a summer working at Rocky Mountain National Park in the concessions, just making like chili dogs and stuff like that with a bunch of other college kids and did a lot of hiking, spent a lot of time outside, um, you know, in the national parks there. And so I applied for, um, I guess that was, and then I came back and then I worked again for that Gary Spikeman for a while. And then I, my mom was like, you know, what are you going to do? Like, what about grad school? And I was like, oh, I don't know. And she's like, well, there's a school called RISD you should apply to. And I was like, oh yeah, I think I heard of that school. So I, it just seems, again, my decision-making was kind of <laughs> questionable at that point in my life. But so I went and visited a few schools. I looked at San Diego and um, I guess I went to RISD and looked around. I can't remember even if I went and looked there ahead of time. I think I did. I went to an open house or something there, but yeah. So then I ended up only applying to RISD and it was like back in the day where you had to have slides of your work and nothing was digital. And so I remember like driving to the post office with my packet, barely getting it in the mail the day that it was had to be postmarked and yeah, got in. And so it was <laughs> like, God, like by this, you know, it, it, 
sometimes you look back at your life and you're like, how did I, how did things fall into place the right. way that they did? But maybe it's luck or chance, who knows? But so, yeah, so I started school in fall of 2000, 2000, I guess. Yeah. Cause it was after Y2K, which was a big thing mm-hmm. and then graduated in 2002. So that was um, a huge experience, you know, being in a place like RISD where there's just crazy stuff going on all around you all the time. Like it was, um, and there I was like, okay, now I thought I'd found my people at Geneseo, but now I'm like, oh, I really, really found my people. Not that I was all crazy and, you know, but, but I think just people that were really excited about building furniture and design. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, learned so much. It sort of opened my world up even further than, than it had been about what was out there and different ways of doing things and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So did you expect from there to go into like your own studio practice or I think were you expecting to go into teaching? Not really. I, I mean, I remembered in college thinking like, there's no way I want to teach like this. I'm going to, you know, I want to make it as an artist. Like I'm not going to teach, you know, but, and I think I probably thought that in graduate school too, that, you know, when you're, it was a two-year program, but I see it like I'm on a lot of graduate committees here at Edinburgh. Um, Mm -hmm. And so you see, like, I sort of remember how it was as a graduate student that you're, it's like this time of lots of introspection, like, what am I making? Why am I making it? What is my work about? Uh, Why should these things exist? Like, who's going to care about them? Why do I care about them? Like, and so you're, you have this sort of period of being super self-absorbed because it's sort of all about you, which Mm -hmm. is, is a great time to have, like, you know, I, I always recommend to students, if you can go to graduate school, like it's a good time to sort of focus and experiment. And, um, but yeah, at the time I, I got a lot of experience helping undergraduate students. I worked as a TA for a few different, um, of professors and you learn a lot by helping people or having to explain Mm. stuff to people. And it, you know, I would see the sort of the gaps in their education or like you learn over time, like what to look out for. Like you learn about how students learn. So even though I was never teaching a course totally on my own as a graduate student, I think I learned a lot from that experience. And, and even from college too, I was always the shop monitor. So you, you know, you get aggravated, like, I just want to get my own work done, but all these kids need so much help and you want to help them. So I definitely have that. I think I'm naturally inclined to want to help people learn. So (laughs) I couldn't really fight it, I suppose. <laughs> I just kind of like <laughs> got, you know, I think I, I was kind of self-employed for about a, you know, only a couple of years after grad school. I went, spent time at Anderson Ranch out in Colorado. I did a residency there and then got even more teaching experience working as an intern for two summers there. So that, you know, it's workshop set up. So there's people coming through every week to two weeks, different people and the instructors also like that is a great way to soak up a ton of, of information. Mm-hmm. Um. Hey friends, I wanted to tell you about an awesome brand I discovered that you might love as well. Have you ever spent a ton of money on clothing that was supposed to be high performance only for it to end up at the back of your closet because it just doesn't fit right? I personally hate when this happens. I get excited about a new pair of work boots and then I'm disappointed to find out they just weren't designed for me. Discovering Athena Outfitters was a game changer for me. Athena Outfitters is a quality workwear brand for hardworking women, 
All of their items are handpicked to meet the needs of women in the trades, not just sized down versions of items designed for men. They've got great workwear essentials like comfortable, soft, and safety toe boots and options for my active lifestyle when I'm off the clock as well. Shopping with Athena Outfitters saves me time and energy because I always know I'm getting a high quality product that also looks and feels great. Next time you're looking for gear with grit, check out AthenaOutfitters.com. That is A-T-H-E-N-A Outfitters.com and use special code at checkout MM15 to get a 15% discount because you listen to the Maker Mom podcast. I remembered my college professor that Joe Stone talking about places like Anderson Ranch, how it's like you're kind of like a rock and a stream and there's this like <laughs> deluge of information coming past you, but you just sort of like soak up everything you can. And, mm-hmm. but I find that I still, the connections I made at that place, like I still use those connections today mm-hmm. or remember information that I learned or I kept all the handouts that we got. And so, um, yeah, so I think I was thinking like, okay, getting my MFA will give me options to teach if I want to. So when I saw this job at Edinburgh, again, I just like, was like, well, it was like the first real teaching job I had applied for. And I don't think I was their first choice. <laughs> like I met a couple of people who were like, oh yeah, I was offered that job. I was like, really? But somehow it came down the line to me and here I am. So, <laughs> so that's what matters, I suppose, in the end. But, but again, it feels like many things that have happened in my life were sort of a like a crapshoot that, you know what I mean? Like that, like, it's not like I was all organized and planned it out or anything like that. It just sort of happened, but I don't know. I think that's, that's the best way though, right? If you, if you have too many plans, they just end up changing anyways. Yeah. And I, yeah, I think I'm definitely kind of loosey goosey in my approach to things, which is like, it drives my husband crazy, but whatever, you gotta be flexible. So that's right. Uh, so, I mean, <clears throat> now that you're, you know, you're teaching there and stuff, do you, do you get to work on your own pieces? Um, I do some, like I, not as much as I would like. So I love teaching. I love helping students, but it sometimes, I sometimes wish that the balance were a little bit more where like I had a little bit more studio time and a little less teaching time, but that's not really the way it works. I think, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, at least here, um, but I find that I, a lot of the work that I make starts out as demos that I do in mm. class. Like I try when I'm doing a demo to, you know, of course you're trying to demonstrate it the best that you can. So a lot of times I go into a demo thinking like, okay, well, this would be, this could be something that I could finish up at home. So as a result in the background of me, if I, you can see through the door there, I have like a zillion half finished projects, <laughs> which, which I do you know, take and, and finish up. But mm-hmm. I, um, so I try to use summers and like winter break. I have a pretty good winter break. Um, so I try to use those times to crank some work out. And I had, I had a sabbatical leave, um, in, uh, spring of 2015 where I was able to produce like a, a bunch of work. And I had a show at the Erie Art Museum and stuff. And then I have another sabbatical for spring of 2022, but I'm just for, not sure I'm going to take it then because I just wondering about I'm not sure that my school will hire a wood teacher to fill in for me so there's that mm-hmm. I've got to figure out so um 
but yeah, I still try to make as much work as I can. It's like, I think anyone who does what we do kind of like, you, you have to like scratch that itch, you know, <laughs> like to get in the studio and make stuff. And it's hard mm-hmm. to make it a priority because it's hard sometimes to go in the studio and have to make decisions about pieces or what to, to yeah. decide what to do that, especially having a family, there's always 3000 other chores that kind of feel like more urgent, you know, <laughs> than yes. studio time. So I definitely feel that I was actually just mm-hmm. thinking today that it's been last week was spring break. And so, you know, took much needed time with the family, but I didn't get any time in the shop Uh before the week before that I had one day where it was like a half a day in the Uh shop um and so it's been almost two weeks and I'm like I'm getting cranky and I know why I'm getting cranky (laughs) because I haven't haven't had a chance to like put my hands on anything and create (laughs) It's like being creatively frustrated, which yes, <laughs> something like that. I feel that too, where I just get like, it, sometimes you feel impatient, it, like as a teacher where I'm like, oh, like I just, you know, just yeah. feeling like you get tired of helping other people make their stuff all the time that you're like, yeah. I just want, I just want to make something and feel like That's an right. artist. And, yes. <laughs> but, but yeah, but at the same time, I feel like it's, it's easy when I'm like stuck on something in the studio to be like, oh, well, I'll just wash those dishes up or like you right. know, run yeah. that load of laundry or, the, or like, you know, to avoid having to think about yes. the thing in the studio that's like looming. So, but I do find once I get in there, once you sort of get warmed up, then you get in a groove and you're like, oh, I could do yes. this, you know? Yep. Yep. But I do think like, oh, go ahead. Uh, I was going to, well, I was going to ask, so like what type of, uh, what's the like range of classes that you teach um well I teach everything I'm the only faculty in wood and at Edinburgh we have pretty big art department we have like around it was at one time it was around like a thousand students in art just in art alone when I started here but it's for a variety of reasons that we're down to like 500 students which is still pretty big but there's um I saw I'm the only faculty in wood and I, I teach all levels so everything Mm. from I usually teach two beginner classes a semester and then a third class that is like wood two intermediate and advanced so there's it's sort of like a piggyback section is what we call Mm -hmm. it and a little bit of a one-room schoolhouse situation where it's sort of like I'm it you know as far as if I don't know how to like (laughs) do something then but there's so many resources online and YouTube Mm -hmm. and whatever that um but yeah so I teach like yeah, beginner students, they're all, they mostly tend to be art students. I do have some non-majors that come in that just are taking it for fun as an elective mm-hmm. and um, which that kind of mixes things up in the class. It's kind of nice. And, um, but yeah, so I really try to start out assuming that they don't have any experience. I always think about, well, when I was in Wood One in college, you know, I think I said earlier, like how I'm not sure I'd ever, I'm sure I'd use a screwdriver, but like, you know, right, <laughs> I'd right. never use like a drill press or so I try to just assume they know nothing and just start from the beginning and really try to make everybody as comfortable as possible. So maybe that's being a mom too, that you sort of feel your ability to empathize and kind of be patient is, you know, maybe more well-developed than I think, not. I don't know. I, well, I was gonna say, I definitely feel like once I became a mom, that was more the case. Like it, mm. it's like, it just felt like it came with the kid. Like all yeah. these things, <laughs> I all of a sudden knew instinctively how to yeah. do uh, where I wasn't necessarily great at before. Uh-huh. Um, things like 
I, and I still say it often, I still don't really like other people's children. I love mine, but I'm still not a huge fan of other people's children. I get what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I've taught, I went and um, taught like a little mini resin workshop at my son's school. And that was crazy. Um, teaching, you know, it was kindergartners up through fifth grade that I kind of ran through (laughs) the kindergartners were much more well-behaved and much better listeners than the fourth graders were really oh man um and soon once we get the materials together I'll be going back and doing bat making bat houses with them oh Um, cool but you know it's I can tell the difference of like it pre-kids if I had done that exercise like my patients would not have stayed intact as well as it does now (laughs) nor and also being able to I don't know if this is like being able to step back and know what mistakes are okay for them to make on their own um and not be a danger to themselves if that makes any sense but like like that knowledge has come with being a parent for me too of like Mm -hmm. at first I want to rush in and like almost do it for them just to like get it done but understanding that there's a lot to come out of just the learning of doing it by themselves type thing yeah even if it's not done perfectly to just sort of let them have that experience and that it's not the whole you know the whole it's not not about the product it's about the process so I try to (laughs) try to remind my students of that but I definitely especially when I started teaching was like Russian and I'll just do it. So it'll be right. But that's not, that's, I try to check myself, I guess, when I, when I find them going in that direction to just let them screw it up so that they know not to do it that way again. And to maybe listen better the next time or whatever, like, you know, whether it's your kid or your student or whatever, like to. And I had, I actually had that experience as a student too, when I was in college, uh, the first time I did not, I was uh, manufacturing technologies, but I, got my degree in and there was a huge shop that included wood tools but also like metalworking tools and the foundry and all kinds of things anything you wanted to do and I didn't take any woodworking classes but I wanted to make like presents Christmas presents and stuff and I wanted to do it out of wood and so like the shop manager he'd show me how to use the tools but more often than not he would just do it for me you know it's like if I wanted uh-huh. to make make a cut on the table saw he would just be like oh well what do you want and just sit there and run the boards through instead of letting me do it so then as an adult when I went back to school and did take furniture classes like I actually intentionally if my teacher was was trying to kind of like step in and really I would tell him no because it's like I need to have the confidence to use the tools mm-hmm. myself yeah. Um, and, and it was always interesting because I never really saw him either case. I never saw them do that to men. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Where I, yeah, I've had, <laughs> yep. <laughs> I've had, yeah, I've had a couple of guys that have hung out and volunteered during my beginner classes, which um, has, you know, was a huge help to me, but it, sometimes I would find them that I don't know some maybe some more than others being more like they would latch on to certain female students that they they perceived as sort of timid or whatever mm-hmm. and would like sweep in and, and help them out and I just was like no we like let her figure it out she can learn it she needs to know that she can do this yeah. that she doesn't need someone to do it for her and 
that would have pissed me off when I was a student to have somebody like come and do it for me as right. much as I was nervous. It was like, no, mm-hmm. I, I can do this. I can just as capable as you are. And mm-hmm. some of it's a generational thing, I think, but, um, yeah, I, in, my, in my case, I think that was definitely the thing. It was, you know, older gentlemen and it, and I never took it as them looking down at me. I took mm-hmm. it as them sincerely wanting to help, but yeah. not understanding that the help I needed was to do it myself yeah and not to have it done for me yeah I I find I've gotten better about that as a teacher to myself of just like when someone you know teaching woodworking occasionally terrifying things can happen that that I'm like okay that was terrifying like and the student doesn't know exactly how dangerous what they just did was but I feel like um, (laughs) maybe it's being a parent but also just like you know, that I'm good at not freaking out and not making them feel like ashamed or embarrassed or like that. I'm usually just like, all right, well, let's, let's just talk about why that happened. And like, let's don't do that again. And, you know, (laughs) now let's do it. Let's talk about, and you, Hey, you understand why that was, you know, you almost had a kickback on the table saw or whatever it was. And then I make them do it again, just so they can kind of get back on the horse and, you know, do it and then understand why it went wrong the last time. But I, I really try to not, not belittle anybody or make them feel like, like really stupid. Or even if I'm in my head, I'm like, Oh my God, like, <laughs> no one's going to listen to this. Right. We're just like, <laughs> I mean, I think every wood teacher can relate yes. that there's always like a student or two in a class that identify themselves very quickly as the one to keep your eye on. All the time. Your eye like, on. <laughs> yeah. So yes. the nature of the, the nature of the beast, I suppose, in this field. So, yes. Well, outside <laughs> of outside of woodworking, I haven't done much te- teaching woodworking wise, but uh, my quote unquote day job uh, is I teach classes and in, in other things and quality control type stuff. But I can relate to the sense of every time I walk into a room, I'm like, okay, who's going to be my troublemaker? And who's going to be the teacher's pet, the one who wants to help with everything. There's one in every one of each, at least in every class. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And they show themselves to you very quickly. You can figure out the the temperature of the room pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Um, Okay, so you're teaching this wide variety. The reason I asked that is I wanted to have an understanding of like what you're teaching. Does it relate at all to your own studio practice of like what you like to create? I think it definitely does. And that's probably true of of anybody that you're going to teach the things. Sometimes I make myself teach something that's out of my comfort zone. But like, I, I, I think also it's made me, you know, teaching has made me a better woodworker too just because you know when you're teaching something you kind of need to know it inside and out Mm -hmm. and be prepared to answer whatever questions may get thrown at you which you know I'm not always (laughs) like prepared to answer every question but like um you know just having to demo it in front of a class yeah I think there's you know I try to I think the way that I teach is probably based on how I was taught you know Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people start there you know, rather than reinventing the wheel, you do projects like that you liked or that you felt were useful. Um, But yeah, I think I definitely, I mean, my, I have, I really try to teach like a foundation and traditional woodworking techniques. So I I really harp on craftsmanship and attention to detail and good design and that kind of stuff. Cause I, I feel like it can be distracting from the final product if, if, you know, if it's poorly made or whatever. So um, 
and that's kind of how I, I treat my own work too. I think my, my um, standards for my own work have really like tightened up with teaching, you know, the more I know and just trying to make work that's at a certain level um, is what I really strive for, I guess. So, mm -hmm. you know, you, you make work um, thinking about like if, you know, if there were a bunch of woodworkers that were looking at it, like what would they notice? You know, the average person's not always going to no. notice the things that you notice <laughs> and know what went into doing it the way right. that you did it. And so the most terrifying place to show work is at like a furniture society conference or something that was have a members <laughs> gallery there. And I'm like, like what if someone yeah. so looks at this, what are they going to see? And so I try to always make stuff like with that in mind, but, but I That's do have this. Oh, That's why my, my wife hates to having me go with uh, furniture shopping with her because I look at everything in the store like that. And I'm like, no, we're not yeah. purchasing that. It's a piece of junk. We're not buying that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I have a hard time with that too. I think that's why we get a lot of stuff from Ikea. I'm like, well, it's not made to last. So we'll just get it for now to like, you know, if my kids need a dresser or something, like right, if they right. waited for me to make them a dresser, they, they would be like married and with kids yes. by, that point. <laughs> by the time it would be done, you know? So yeah. I try to, it's like minimal investment. It'll get us through this period, which I hate, I hate to think of it like disposable that way, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. So yeah. I think like with my teaching, I mean, I definitely, I'm sure I, I have like my aesthetic and I try to have like show students as much as I can, as far as images of contemporary work. Mm -hmm. And like, so they get exposed to a lot of different ways of doing things. And I really try to not um, impose my own aesthetic on the students. Like I want them to be creative and to do mm -hmm. things differently. And a lot of times students, they'll, they'll show me like, yeah, I'm going to do it this way. And this is what I want to do. And I'm like, like, really? Like, okay. If you, you think that's going to work and then like, they'll do it and it'll be awesome. And I'll be like, oh, well, okay. You proved me wrong. Like, right. which, so I, I try to remember, like, I don't know everything. And like, I can't, you know, I should let them trust, you know, the whole thing about making mistakes and let, let yeah. them trust their judgment a little bit, unless it's like a technical thing, or I think it's going to be dangerous or structurally unsound. Like that's my job to help them right. Right. learn that part of it. But if it's something that seems really weird or complicated, like to just let them try it and everybody learns from it if it works or if it doesn't work. So, mm -hmm. but how do you describe your own line of work, your own aesthetic? Um, I guess I would say like I, that time that I spent out West, like, um, you know, since I grew up in the East coast, I'd traveled quite a bit up and down the East coast and had spent time in Germany and everything, but, um, hadn't spent a lot of time like in the West. I'd been to California, I suppose, but like, you know, I think going out to Rocky mountain national park, the landscapes, all of that stuff, it became sort of what I made my graduate thesis work about. And, um, my professor, was Roseanne Summerson at the time, which now she's the president of RISD. Um, I feel lucky to have had her, you know, still in the, in the classroom at that time. But um, she was open-minded enough, like during the winter session of my second year of grad school, um, my now husband, he was my boyfriend at the time, was like, hey, we're going on this rafting trip down the Grand Canyon for like three and a half weeks. And do you want to come? And I was like, well, yeah, of course. I mean, I'm not, he was a rat, he was a raft right. guide like for many years and um, had a bunch of raft guide friends. So it was like a self-guided trip. And um, so I was able to turn it into kind of a directed study. And Roseanne was like, sure, you can go do this thing if you keep a journal and you make some work about it when you come back. So, so I did that like over January of my second year of school. And, um, and really like, I'm still kind of working on that theme, like 
with my husband, he's a geologist. And um, so we, and the sun, we use our summers. He's a teacher. He's a ninth grader science teacher. And um, we have three kids. And so we tend to use the summers to do big road trips out West. And we've, I might, I have a sister that lives in Colorado also. So, you know, spending out time, time out there, I always try to bring a sketchbook along and take mm -hmm. pictures. And um, I think most people that are artists you, certain things catch your eye and so mm -hmm. I find myself using a phone kind of as a sketchbook like the quick and dirty capture something that sort of looks yeah. like an interesting shape or like a texture or whatever so that's kind of what my work is still sort of about I mean I'm, I'm trying to make stuff that's mostly mostly functional because there's always that thing like well if this doesn't sell am I prepared to live with it right. <laughs> you know like the, so you, Sometimes I'm like, well, who cares? I'll just make it because I want to make it. But a lot of times I'm thinking like, all right, what am I going to do with this thing? Like if I still have it and um, yeah, so it's mostly functional, but I, you know, tend to, I've worked, been doing some stuff that's like purely sculptural lately too, which is kind of liberating to not mm -hmm. have those confines of making it do something. Um, the show that I had at the Erie Art Museum um, after my sabbatical was kind of a mix. It was mostly functional work, but there were a handful of sculptural things, which that was kind of a weird realization to be like, huh, I'm making sculpture. Like this is, you know, <laughs> but kind of exciting too. And yeah, I think just with uh, the way my life is now that smaller, less complicated things tend to be what I focus on, like lots of spoons, <laughs> like these carved <laughs> spoons. And I'm like, I have like, cause these, these, these kind of things, I don't know, you can't really yeah. see it, but yeah. Um, start out as demonstrations for my students. And then I I'm like, well, might as well finish them. And there's something I can just kind of come down to the yeah. studio, work on for a little bit, and then, you know, go back up and make dinner or whatever I have to do. So, right. Um, but yeah, so. Hi makers. Today's episode is brought to you by toolmomstore.com. Toolmom and company is for all ages, genders. They have what you need for your one-stop tool-related merchandise of gifts and clothing. Uh, the products are fun, fashionable, one-of-a-kind. In fact, I have two of the mugs. Uh, one has a circular saw with flames coming off of it and says, Go Girl. Another one has the definition of a tool chick. Both of them are super awesome, and I have coffee out of them almost every morning. So check out toolmomstore.com or find them on Instagram at toolmombonnie. You can receive an extra 20% off at a checkout by using the code MAKERMOM. Yeah, I, I, I definitely, uh, that resonates with me. I haven't spent much time in Colorado, though that is definitely a destination on my bucket list that I want to spend time mm -hmm. um, at. But I, you know, I lived very, really in the grand scheme of things, very briefly about four and a half years on the west coast and it was just something about the ocean and you can always tell there's a water theme somewhere in mm -hmm. my piece um that comes through you know if you understand that like I look at it and I'm like yeah that's where that inspiration came from I don't know if anybody else sees it but that's what I yeah. see yeah um it's just something about that. And I'm like, and now I live in the middle of the country with no ocean in sight. <laughs> and yeah. Doesn't make much sense to where I live now, but that is definitely where I get a lot of inspiration from. 
I think if it's something that sort of stuck with you though, and maybe it's that feeling of wanting to get back to that place, even if it's not literally going yeah, back there, yeah. but like if, you know, I think the ocean, I think water is definitely a prominent theme in my work too. Like I kind of got through last summer with the pandemic. Um, I grew, I was a swimmer, like competitive swimmer up through college and stuff. And sort of my, even when I was pregnant with all my kids, I would swim laps just cause it felt good. It was like one of the few things I could do. So the summer with all the pools being closed, I got much more into open water swimming mm-hmm. and like found a group that swims. There's a little lake in Edinburgh that we'd swim like a mile round trip and then was going up to Lake Erie to swim. And it was just such a, um, I don't know, sort of something like where the Lake, lake Erie, especially the weather there would vary so much. Like some days you'd go and it would be like this raging waves and like terrible, <laughs> like where you're like, no way am I going out in that. Right. Other days it would be like glass and you could see all the way through down to the bottom and you see like, oh my God, there's like tires and all kinds of stuff on the bottom of the lake <laughs> like that you'd probably better off not seeing, but like right. just sort of the personality of water. And I don't know, there's a lot of like weird psychological stuff you can get into thinking about with water oh yeah yeah besides the besides the ocean I would say probably the next thing is um the Great Lakes Lake Superior I've spent time um Mm -hmm. along Lake Superior and definitely same thing I guess big body of water there's just something something to not being able to see the other side (laughs) that wide open space so yeah, yeah I feel like it's just sort of a peacefulness you don't feel yeah anywhere else but yeah exactly I don't know I keep thinking like, you know, being a mother somehow should like come into my work that I'm like, but I don't know. Part of me thinks that it's sort of like an escape Mm -hmm. from the, like when I go in the studio, it's like an escape from my, the chaos of my rest of my life, you know? So I don't know how you feel about it, but yeah, no, I mean, honestly, that's what got me. So when I went, um, when we lived in California is when I, uh, took, uh, classes at the community college there in their furniture program that they had um and once you know kids started coming on the scene I kind of took a break from that and we moved back to the midwest and it was when my youngest was uh, a year old I said I have to do something that is just me that's Mm -hmm. not being a wife that's not being a mom that's not being you know an employee that's not that's just me and mine uh and that's Uh what got me back into making and that's definitely my like like I said I'm I'm cranky because I haven't made for almost two weeks <laughs> all these, these darn podcasts that I know <laughs> I know but it's it, it, it is true it's like if I want to be a good be good at any of those other things I have to give myself time to make and yeah. to just be creative on my own uh and not care a lot of times if I can if I can push myself to not care what other people would think about what I'm making that's even better yeah to just make what you <laughs> just make yeah. what I want to make <laughs> I guess that's one of the perks of not having it be like I always think about that like well I'm not at least like parts of me part of me is like well thank god we're not make I'm not making a living off of my artwork that we'd all be starving and right. you know homeless and stuff but like but like not having that pressure of having to pay attention to the market and what's going to sell and that kind of thing it's you know I have a steady paycheck from from teaching and you know I usually yep. in the morning I'm like yeah I get to go hang out in the wood shop at school like sometimes <laughs> right. it's with a ton of students and it's really crazy and demanding and exhausting but it's like I love it though like it's I feel very grateful to have found 
the path that I, you know, <laughs> that I have. And, but yeah, I think definitely balance is such a huge thing with um, like having a job and then making time for yourself like that. I feel like this has become a very popular phrase, the whole self-care thing, Yeah. but it's so right though. It's like, as if you don't, if you neglect yourself, you don't take that time for self-care, then you're that I feel like I'm horrible to yeah. be around, you know, or like, <laughs> yeah. or just feel like frustrated and unhealthy and angry. And mm-hmm. so whether it's like spending enough time with my job and then like exercise is pretty important to me too. And, and then studio time. And then, and knowing that, like, I, I mean, I sometimes feel guilty, the mom guilt, you know, of like not having enough time for my kids or like, especially like this year with their, they're only in school half the day. Mm-hmm. And they're, so they're home with me every afternoon and I'm like trying to get work done, like yeah. school work done and they need stuff. And, but I feel like it's good for kids to know that you have an identity or sort of a, a purpose beyond yeah. being their mom, you know, like that you're. That's, that's what I was going to say. I, th- I think there's a lot of benefit in just being able to demonstrate that you have a true passion for something mm-hmm. outside of them. <laughs> like, yeah. You know? Um, yeah. Cause I think like, and then it makes it easier for me to encourage things that I start seeing pop up for them that they're interested in, even mm-hmm. if it's not, you know, something that I'm interested, like my, my oldest is he'll be eight in June. Um, but he's definitely gotten into video games, which is nothing I've ever been interested in. Um, but, you know, encouraging things around like more like the problem solving aspects of the video games and like figuring out this or that and like just how he can light up about talking like, oh, I finally figured out this one thing, you know, and being uh-huh. able to talk about it is like, okay, he has this interest and I want to encourage it just because it's an interest that can take him down a lot of different paths. Like there's so much Mm -hmm. science and math and all kinds of things behind that. Yeah. You know, once you point that out and he's like, oh yeah, there is like, you know, having the connection between that or my, my daughter's probably going to be a maker because that's what she wants to do when she has free time is sit and make things so Uh it's fun to watch that though like they see you giving yourself time to be passionate about something I think it gives them permission to do the same yeah I think I think so I I, um definitely there's one one of my three kids the youngest one she discovered a hot glue gun she's seven now but like (laughs) (laughs) so sometimes I'll bring home um (laughs) <laughs> like boxes of scrap wood from school from the shop because mm-hmm. we just have so much of it and we have a fireplace and she'll raid the scrap in and like start hot gluing these chunks of wood together so she made all these <laughs> all these Christmas gifts for us like everybody got one including the dog <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> they were like these weird you know remnants of my yeah. students projects where I could recognize that she like but whatever it was like they're awesome just that mm-hmm. she the kids have that freedom to just sort of like you know, you wonder the decision-making process as they're putting stuff together, like what, mm-hmm. what is driving them to do it and how are they making the decisions? And like, I don't know, it's, it's, I feel like kids as much as they um, are a lot of work and, and can be like a, a frustrating distraction sometimes, like they also help you to sort of refocus on what's important and like to not get so absorbed or so in mm-hmm. your head, you know, like about your work or whatever, your job or whatever that they're, 
they demand attention yes. and it's like it's whether you can give it or not like yeah. but it does it does kind of like reset your yeah your focus like this other stuff is not that important like what's happening with this kid is in front of me is like right this is what I need this, to yes. give some time to but. so you you're teaching in an art program does that I mean do you get then quite a few uh, a good mix of uh, men and women coming through your program then? Yeah, I would say definitely it's, um, it, it kind of ebbs and flows. I'm thinking like my wood one class right now, I think has eight students and there's only two women in that class, which is unusual. Cause that last semester I had a class that was all women, which was first time ever, but it was such a different energy in the room. It was just chance that it just happened that way. Um, right. you know, there, it was a smaller class and only had like eight or 10 students in it, but, um, I found myself talking in a little different way to them. Like I could be a little bit more, you know, goofy and sort of loose in the way that I mm -hmm. presented stuff. Just, and also most of them were graduate students too. So they are at a you know, different level too with their work, but it was just a different energy. But yeah, I mean, most of my classes tend to be kind of half and half. And um, every once in a while there can be like a, you know, strong personalities that come through mm -hmm. that are a wood concentration and they're in the shop all the time. And so, we had, we had one of those women woodworking, did you, were, I don't know if you were at that meeting last Thursday, it was like a Zoom meeting for the women of woodworking group. Yeah, we, since we were on spring break, I didn't, I didn't mm -hmm. hop on that one, but yeah. But there was a conversation, I, I kind of talked a little bit in that meeting just about how being aware of sort of what the energy is like in, in, in the shop and how that can be either encouraging or discouraging to certain mm -hmm. students to want to come in and work if they feel like they're being watched or like, that they're not welcome or whatever mm -hmm. like it's but yeah I found like as far as I think maybe ethnically it's not as diverse as it could be we're definitely a rural area so most of my students are white and mm -hmm. from the region but I have found um just in the like LGBTQ realm of things that that has really opened up in the time I've been an educator where I have in a way that it wasn't when I first started teaching like that I you know have many students, I think it's just that time period of college where they're just sort of figuring out who the heck they are, mm -hmm. even if they, you know, are putting a name to it or whatever, like that I often have students that are transitioning or coming out or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so it's, I've learned so much from my students about that. And like, you know, I think as much as I'm there to teach them, they teach me so much about people <laughs> right. like being more aware and sensitive to what, what's happening in different scenarios in people's lives. And mm -hmm. So that's been interesting too. Yeah. To, it definitely keeps you like plugged in with youth too, right? Uh -huh. Like plugged in with like what, uh, what matters, I guess, maybe a little bit, not what matters yeah. in the world, but what's going on in the world a little bit more. Yes. I, I've actually said something to that about, um, about that to one of my, I have just a handful of graduate students that have taken classes with me that are all female for whatever reason I don't know but I'm thinking of how um they really help me to keep up to speed on what is you know changing perceptions of what is okay or, or even like how you address someone or mm -hmm. just the way that social norms are shifting and, and changing and evolving you know as time goes mm -hmm. by that I find like gosh if I wasn't in contact with co with college students like how out of touch I, I would I would how much more out of touch I might be you know with like what's okay to to say or to talk yeah. to about people or like and even things like um 
you know, I like had had that, I had had a volunteer, an older gentleman in the shop and he was very kind, very nice, very generous, but like he was the one that would kind of latch onto the female students and kind of like help them a little too much, you know, and, mm -hmm. um, but even just the, like, I don't know, I'm getting into this now, but these graduate students were like, yeah, Karen, he always like, he always kind of like, um, interrupts you when you're giving a demo. And I'm like, you know, like he kind of does like, and that's starting to annoy me. And like, but there are things, you know, I'm 45 right. and like thinking of the way that I've, even, I don't know if it's a generational thing or an age thing to just, mm -hmm. to, you'd be like, you know, like, I don't have to tolerate that. Like I'm the professor, right. I'm in charge. Right. It's my demo. Like, and I always was like, well, just being polite. I'll just let him say, cause it makes him feel good or whatever. Like, but now I'm like, right. no, no, I'm not going to do yeah. that. And like, and just having these young women that like point this out to me, I'm like, oh my God, they're so right. Like, how have I evolved in this way and not, you know, and I, do they just give you a different perspective on mm -hmm. things, which is so refreshing and, and, you know, what I love about my job too, I think to be around young people and just sort of try to keep up to speed with stuff. Yes. <laughs> as, change as I get older, but anyway, that's a whole other topic. That's of a whole, yeah. I think <laughs> I do. But, um, I want to, we're getting tight on time, but I do want to ask one other question. Are you, uh, I know you're involved with that. Um, the, the women in word working, uh, group mm -hmm. and some other groups through the furniture society. So are you, um, like, are you a board member or part of that? Uh, um, yeah. So the furniture society I've, I've been a member of since, I guess, since I finished graduate school for, so coming up on like 20 years, I don't know that I've always had a current membership every year. I'm just going <laughs> to put that out there because I definitely <laughs> forgot some years, but, um, but I think it's an organization that I always felt like was, has been always sort of near and dear to my heart that I'd go to the conferences and be like, I, I haven't, I've been to maybe like, I don't know, eight conferences or something over the last 20 years, but like just feeling so excited and inspired by that group of people. Um, you know, I think I definitely felt intimidated going to those conferences at first, like, I don't know these people or like, you know, like mm -hmm. knowing their work and, who, and then being like seeing them in person was like, oh my gosh, I want to talk to them, but I don't want to, you know, so anyway, I think maybe we've all sort of felt like that. Mm -hmm. And but um, there, you know, the organization kind of had some years where the leadership had changed and like the structure had changed a little bit. So I was like, you know, I care about this organization. I want to get involved and do what I can to help and felt like I was at a point in my academic career, like I'm a um, full professor now, you have to go through all these ranks of promotion. And so I'm like, I'm mm -hmm. done with that process. And so now I can kind of open up my view a little bit and start taking on things out in the world, mm -hmm. you know, that I'm, I'm excited about. And um, yeah, so I, I just looked into trying to join the board and I was on the board for only like a year when they were like, Hey, we need somebody to be the vice president. How about you? And I was like, what, what me? Like, really? Like me and, and Adam Manley is the president. We, I think we were both like, what, like you talking, what <laughs> it, it felt kind of early to be asked yeah. that, but I think just the makeup of the board and us being both professors that it was like they knew we would have the time and the attention and the reliability to kind of take on that leadership. So I've been the vice president for oh, it'll be a year this summer. And um, yeah, so just, I started an educators group um, through the Furniture Society, just with when the pandemic started, I kind of started these Zoom meetings that went throughout the last, throughout the summer. And um, we're taking a break at the moment. We usually were every two weeks and then it was every month. And 
I didn't call one for this month yet, but just of other educators that do what I do to talk about how we're dealing with teaching remotely and, and also talk about just teaching stuff to mm -hmm. critiquing practices, good assignments, like how do you handle this kind of situation? So it's, I guess, one of the affinity groups that sort of helped um, lead to the women in woodworking affinity group that they're trying to get started. And there's like a student furniture society student group that mm -hmm. we're trying to get off the ground too. So the magic of zoom is allowing right. people to <laughs> connect in ways that we haven't before this. So, but it's good though, I think. So, yeah, yeah, it is. Um, all right. So I do want to give you a chance now, cause we are at the end to let people uh, know how they can find you, see your work, you know, connect with you. Um, well, I have, uh, I have uh, an Instagram account for myself for my, I try to make it just artwork. That's that, uh, I think it's Ernst underscore Karen is my, my tag on Instagram. And then I have one for my program as well. It's just Edinburgh. I think it's Edinburgh furniture, woodworking and furniture. I can't remember, but if you look it up, <laughs> it should come up under. And then I have a Facebook page for my program also, and a Facebook page of my own too. But in my website is uh, KarenErnstDesign.com. So it's a pretty basic website, but I'm trying to make some improvements to it. But it's hard to, hard to again, the balance of all those different. I know, all these assets. things I got to get done, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. Well, thanks for taking the time to chat with me today, Karen. Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. All right, so again, that was Karen Ernst, and I will include the links on how you can follow along with her. Just check the description. Uh, for the episode on your podcast app and uh, know that you can listen to the podcast on iTunes and Spotify and basically wherever you get your podcast. Make sure that uh, you hit that subscribe button, head on over to iTunes, leave a five-star review. All of that helps uh, bring more eyeballs and ears to the podcast and is appreciated. And um, make sure you follow along over on Instagram. It is at Wonder Women Pod. So check that out. Follow along. Um, you'll get notifications that way if, uh, when new episodes are up, which are every Wednesday and Friday every week. And you can check out full on show notes over at freemanfurnishings.com forward slash podcasts. Um, when I am not making podcast episodes and talking with wonderful people, you can find me designing and making furniture and home decor at freemanfurnishings.com and at Freeman Furnishings pretty much across all social media, YouTube, Instagram, uh, TikTok, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Facebook, all of those places. I'm active on a daily basis, though, on Instagram and TikTok at Freeman Furnishings. So you can see what project I'm currently working on, which generally involves some sort of carving, producing lots of sawdust and some dance moves thrown in there as well. It is Friday. I hope you all have a fantastic weekend. I hope you're getting get outside, enjoy spring weather and get out and make something. Until next week, I will see you later. Thank you.